0: Yeah, hey, turfs and trannies. This is Nina, co-host of Heterodorks.
1: And this was formerly Corinna. I am exploring a new identity as I continue along my trans journey. So, um, Nina, can can you please call me Hershey?
0: Uh, In the third person, I already do.
1: What? No, no. My, my new name is Hershey.
0: Oh, your new name is Hershey. That's
2: in Hershey bar.
0: That's right. Of all the kinds of chocolate you could have chosen as an identity.
2: Being, being British, I don't like that at all. I mean, Cadbury would be a much better name, which is the far superior chocolate.
1: Oh, how about Godiva? Since this is only an audio podcast, you can use your imagination and pretend that I am Godiva.
0: That's actually a perfect name for
1: a, oh. for a
0: trans-identified male. Wait,
1: wait, I heard a third voice. We have a guest, Dork.
2: Yes, well, that's me. My name is Alex Byrne. I'm a philosopher at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, uh, Nina Nina just asked me where I am, and I I am where MIT is, which is in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right next to Boston. Where are you guys, actually? I don't even know where you
1: are. I am in Indianapolis, Indiana.
2: Oh.
0: I am in Urbana, Illinois. Wonderful home of the University of Illinois.
2: A very fine uh, institution, I'm sure.
0: No. So speaking of institutions, I have questions for you, Alex Byrne. Far away. Uh, so how long have you been in philosophy departments, in academia?
2: A longish time. I came to philosophy quite late, actually. This is not uncommon because you don't normally discover philosophy in high school. It's usually not taught in high school. And I I grew up in, in Britain, and didn't have any exposure to philosophy. Actually, even when I went to university, I had no exposure to philosophy, I didn't study philosophy initially at university. So after that, when I was in my 20s, I lived in London for a while, worked for um, a number of advertising agencies. And um, during the evening, I went to Birkbeck College, which is a college of the University of London, a good Victorian working man's college and studied philosophy there in the evening. And so I got a second degree in philosophy. And then I went to King's College London for a year to do an MA. And then I went to America to do my PhD. And um, I got my first job, which was at MIT in 1994.
0: What was your other degree in? Uh, Math. But you were worked in advertising.
2: Yes, yes, I was a, a, a media planner and buyer. I mean, it was kind of like so. Unfortunately, I wasn't on the on the creative side. But this was in the eighties, and it was still a bit like Mad Men. Actually, there was a uh, there was an advertising boom during that time, and there was like a colossal amount of drinking and. Um, debauchery, you know, at, at work. Um, anyway, so I, yeah, it's amazing. I actually survived that,
1: but um, and you gave up drinking and yeah. debauchery for philosophy.
2: No, no, I didn't. No, no, uh, uh no, no, I did Well, I certainly
1: gave up debauchery,
2: um, but uh, but I certainly didn't give up drinking, unfortunately.
0: Do you have to give up debauchery to be a philosopher? no, you don't have to give up Not debauchery. At It's just that there's a all- there's a lot less
2: debauchery in philosophy than than there is or was in advertising. Um, I mean, there used, wow. to be debauch- <laughs> there used to be some debauchery in philosophy, but uh, now, you know, with the current um, puritan climate, um, there's a lot less debauchery, at, uh, certainly at conferences, than there used to be.
0: How do you define debauchery? um
2: casual sex with one's colleagues that kind of thing.
0: Uh, okay. All right. We have different definitions of debauchery, I guess, cuz philosophy from the outside looks seriously debauched at the moment.
2: Uh yes it is. I mean, it certainly is if you're talking about sex and gender and how that's treated within philosophy. Yes, the situation is quite quite bad in my my view.
0: So, be- so you've been in academic philosophy since the mid '90s, so I recently read this book, Cynical Theories. Have you read it? Oh,
2: right, yeah, I, I haven't. I've read I, I've read parts of it.
0: Yeah, so I'm just wondering, you know, as an insider, what the hell happened? Like, it's philosophy, academic philosophy, seems like a a battleground for some of the stupidest ideas. Yeah, well, it's, you, you,
2: um the book Cynical Theories really isn't about that. It really isn't about academic philosophy. It's more right. about um gender studies and postmodernism and what they call grievance studies. Right. Um, and even though Judith Butler is sort of notionally a, uh, a philosopher she belongs much more happily in gender studies she's actually a, like a professor of, of rhetoric i think at, at berkeley she we, we we wouldn't normally think of her as a um intellectual as a regular member sorry what... <laughs> <laughs> no no well i don't actually have a very high opinion of Judith Butler as, a, as an intellectual but she's not um she's she's not part of the sort of orthodox analytic mm. philosophy intellectual
0: community. Um, um but in Well is is Grace Lavery? No, Grace Lavery no, is in the Grace, English department. But Grace but, is in the English department. But the that, but in that the, bicyclist in, that that uh, uh Rachel McKinnon. Yes. Oh, sorry, that sorry. that um, person was in the philosophy McKinnon, department.
2: That was just like one I, I'm I'm one, one name change away. Sorry, uh, Veronica Ivey is the, <sighs> the um but yeah, so um yeah, so Rachel McKibben, Ver- Veronica Ivey, was she's no, no longer a professor in of philosophy. She was trained in academic phlo- sorry, in analytic philosophy, which is the main kind of philosophy practiced in um top universities in the in the US in the kind of philosophy that I do, questions of sex and gender are discussed primarily by people working in this relatively small subdiscipline of analytic philosophy called feminist philosophy. There's a big kind of cat fight, if you like, going on in feminist philosophy right now over issues of sex and gender. Well, actually calling it a fight within feminist philosophy is perhaps a bit misleading. So you know this... Philosopher in the UK, Kathleen Stock, yes. who wrote wrote a book, um, Material Girls, which came out last year. So, Cal- I know Kathleen, and she started writing about these issues in I think 2018, because the then Conservative government was considering reforms to a piece of British legislation called the Gender Recognition Act. And the reforms would have essentially ushered in a version of of gender self uh, ID. Kathleen was raising some questions about that. And she also mentioned that it was a bit odd that these questions hadn't been discussed by feminist philosophers who are, you know, obsessed with questions like what is a woman and uh, so forth. And also the, you know, various social and ethical issues having to do with broadly, feminist concerns. Anyway, so Kathleen uh, wrote a few pieces on the blog site uh, Medium, I think, about these issues. And to cut a long story short, she was essentially exiled from the philosophy profession. She was no-platformed and insulted and called a transphobe and a bigot and a turf, of course, and um, um, because she'd been st- she she'd been standing up for in the UK for academic freedom and free speech generally, particularly with regard to questions about sex and gender and the Gender Recognition Act. And as a result of that work, she was um, awarded the OBE in. The new year's honors list you know the the, the, the queen gives out these medals <laughs> to, to her grateful citizens every year like there hundred, are hundreds of them um uh, for people you know who do good works of one sort or another or make various contributions to society and kathleen got the obe which i think is the um uh, the officer of the most excellent order of the british empire and anyway so so she got that in the in the New Year's Honours list, and it's not as if this was some sort of confirmation of her, you know, bigotry because the British establishment is well known for being transphobic. I mean, numerous trans people have OBEs and, and related awards from the Queen, and I think actually that very year a, a trans woman firefighter got some some honour in the uh, the Queen's giveaway. Anyway, so she got the uh, the OBE. Okay, then just what I should add one one other thing just to kind of fill out how totally bizarre this story is. So in philosophy, it not surprisingly, have you have you either of you taken any philosophy classes, by the way? In college?
0: I've certainly yeah, I've read I've read yeah, stuff. Yeah. I don't I don't think I took a philosophy course in college.
2: Well, anyway, you um Philosophy is a male-dominated discipline. It's about, at the PhD level, it's something like 70% men, 30% women. Anyway, this state of affairs, this gender imbalance in philosophy is viewed by many philosophers as some sort of huge existential crisis which needs to be solved by any means necessary. So all sorts of... um, Procedures and policies have been put in place to try and encourage women to enter the profession and so forth. So we want to do everything we can to encourage women to enter the profession. Okay, now here is Kathleen Stock, who has been made a huge contribution to public philosophy, you know, agree with her or not. You know, she's like some major figure in the UK public intellectual landscape and lo and behold she's actually got the OBE. Philosophers very rarely get awards from the Queen or or anyone else come to that matter. I mean but the perfectly good reason that we're, you know, mostly like dead wood and totally useless to society. Anyway, so you, you, would, you would have thought that this would have resulted in Kathleen being congratulated and held up as some kind of, you know, role model. And look, this is, you know, if you're a woman in philosophy, this is what you could do. You know, you could actually make some genuine contribution to public debates. But instead, some of Kathleen's professional colleagues, including some very well-known philosophers actually, organised this open letter, complaining. It was really a kind of an open letter to the Queen, in in effect, saying, you know, your majesty, you made a terrible mistake giving an OPE to Kathleen Stock, who is, you know, a bigot and blah, blah. And there was a string of strange allegations in this letter and a number of glaring factual inaccuracies. One of the most bizarre accusations was that Kathleen was somehow, um, by her... Speaking and writing, shoring up the patriarchy. You know, she is some kind of lefty lesbian. Anyway, so in the end, I think something like seven hundred people signed the anti kaplan stock letter. I mean, it's just the most amazing story. I, I, I will never fully understand it. I think as long as I live. I mean, a lot of the people who did sign the letter weren't like famous, and I think most of them were students graduate students or undergraduates but still a number of big name philosophers sign sign the latter. um so and there are a number of other examples so if you're a a philosopher who is you know interested in i don't know critic critically examining the notion of gender identity say that, that that's one thing that is an obvious target for philosophers who, uh, you know, just love these kind of quasi conceptual questions, you know, what exactly is gender identity is like 50 million different things you might mean by gender identity? Is it true that everyone has a gender identity? And so on, you know, they, you can make some at least some progress on those questions, like from the armchair, um, which is where philosophers are normally to be found. But anyway, if you're interested in asking those questions, uh, you know, just in the spirit of intellectual inquiry, and of course, it's all very relevant to the current discourse, then you're just not welcome. At least you're not welcome if you come to the wrong conclusions. Sorry, just one other sort of historical thing. So so a few years before Kathleen's um, like series of Cancellations was um, the Rebecca Tubal case. Yeah, I know um, that. Remember that. Um, that was in 2017.
1: That was with the Hypatia journal? Yeah, right. Yeah. Rebecca wrote,
2: um, it's called A Defense of Transracialism in Hypatia. I, I never even really understood what was so offensive about that paper. At least I could kind of see why people, why some people got annoyed at, at, at Kathleen. But Rebecca was certainly not saying that, you know, trans women aren't women or um, we shouldn't have gender self-idea or anything like that. I mean, her whole point was, well, we should be, um, you know, accepting and tolerant of the few people with trans racial identities like, uh, like Rachel Dolezal. So the whole thing was supposed to be sort of extremely progressive and you know let's not mess with anyone's identity and you know even even rachel dolazar can be valid we're all valid I, but it obviously stuck sorry struck this um it's amazingly raw nerve it's like weird and yeah you know, i mean the poor woman was just completely you know again she's a woman in philosophy and at the time she didn't have talents and, you know, there were these petitions and Judith Butler signed the, like, the main petition, like, condemning uh, Rebecca Tuval and her, you know, suggesting that she be um, erased from uh, polite society.
1: When in time did you start to become aware that this issue was fomenting in philosophy?
2: I think it was around the the time of the rebecca Tuval thing that was the main uh the main red flag i mean everyone was talking about it you couldn't really ignore it i didn't know all that much about the issue at the time except i mean i'm a big proponent of academic freedom and freedom of speech in in general and uh, i mean i immediately was you know convinced that this was a terrible thing and uh, it doesn't of course it didn't matter in the slightest whether Rebecca's argument was any good, or whether, you know, her paper was appropriately cited or whether it offended various people. Those things don't matter at all, in my view. And then, I think, at any rate, in my case, the issue, like, festered for a year or so, and then Kathleen Stock um, popped up on the scene. And I was, at the time, I was... um, editing the or co-editing the um, the Norton introduction to philosophy which is just like like standard um, like textbook or compendium of, of of essays used in introductory philosophy classes and we have a section in that in the current edition on race and gender and so i I wrote a lot of that of the editorial material for that and in order to do so responsibly, I had to read a lot of the literature. And when I started reading what feminist philosophers had written, I thought, "Well, I have something to contribute here." So then I started writing stuff, stuff myself, which also got me into some trouble. But...
0: So feminist philosophy is a branch of philosophy. Is it? Are there more females? In there are feminist more, philosophies. Yes,
2: yes it, okay. is almost, it is almost exclusively female feminist philosophy. Feminist philosophy is an is a very odd. I think this is part of the problem. It's a very odd branch of philosophy in that you can just like tell from the name; it's an ist mm-hmm. type branch of philosophy. So it sounds very much like you, as it were, have to be a feminist, which means you have to have. Certain views, maybe of a very broad or abstract kind, in order to join in join in the fun. I mean, if you if you thought, yeah, so I'm I'm you know I'm really interested in the relations between the sexes, but um, I don't think that um, the United States is a patriarchal society, or I don't think that women are oppressed like across the board and men aren't you know if you thought well women have a raw deal in certain respects and and men have a raw deal in some other respects and well anyway i'm just interested in exploring these things and maybe maybe i'll come to the conclusion that um that we live in a patriarchy after all but i'd like to keep my options open then it doesn't really sound as if you know feminist philosophy if you're like in danger of ending up not as a card-carrying feminist, is really the, um, the branch of philosophy for you. And if it's not the branch of philosophy for you, then there's no other place you can go to where you can discuss these issues. Sorry, let me, let me just give you, that's all a bit abstract. Perhaps. Let me give you another example. So a branch of philosophy that I work in is called philosophy of mind, which is all about the mind and its relation to the world and the brain and the body and so on. Uh, here are three positions you can take with respect to the mind and the brain or the body. You can hold that the mind is wholly distinct from the brain and the body. It's somehow harnessed to it, but it's wholly distinct from it. You could, in principle, survive the complete destruction of your body and brain and live on as some kind of immortal uh, or immaterial soul. Um That was René Descartes view, roughly speaking. Or you could hold that uh, the mind is wholly material or physical, and there's nothing more uh, to having a mind than having some, you know, software running on the hardware of the brain or something like that. Or you could hold um, that every chunk of physical reality has both a material or physical aspect and a mental aspect. So, you know, this bottle of beer. I took the precaution of actually bringing some beer to this podcast. This bottle of beer, you might think, is just wholly physical and not at all mental. But on this other view called panpsychism, it has certain kind of mental uh, aspects to it. So the world, the world itself, is neither wholly physical nor, nor nor wholly mental. Anyway, sorry. So you've got panpsychism, and physicalism, and dualism. So you've got these three isms, these three these three views. But there's no branch of philosophy called, you know, panpsychism. The panpsychists and the dualists, and the materialists, all get together at conferences and say that the other the other people are, uh, you know, idiots or terribly totally misguided or whatever. I mean, the panpsychists in particular coming for a lot of stick. But the point is that you have all this you have all this disagreement. You have this. Um, Subdiscipline discipline of uh, philosophy, which is just united by this topic. It's not united in any sense um, uh, by a view. But the problem with feminist philosophy, in my view, is that it is united by a view, or at least it's united by uh, the absence of certain views. And at the moment, if you ha- have views like Kathleen Stocks, Holly Lawford Smith is another philosopher who's been treated very badly by the profession. Uh, She's in uh, Australia at the University of Melbourne. If you have views like these philosophers, then you're not welcome in the the feminist philosophy tent. And indeed, other feminist philosophers will say, um, kind of by way of justifying uh, your exile. Well, you're not really a feminist.
0: That's, cr- yeah, that's crazy.
2: Not an intellectually healthy situation.
0: Am i It sounds, from the outside, it sounds like crazy. It sounds just like academic rot. Like I had this idea, most of us do, that people with PhDs are supposed to be smart. Huh? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made the you most laugh. ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs>
2: and uh, you just need to look at the twitter people who have phd after the twitter name.
0: Yeah, well twitter makes everybody into a a fool. Um but it it does seem I mean maybe it's always been rotten, maybe The Academy has always been rotten. I, my, my father was a math professor and I grew up practically on the campus of the university of Illinois. And I, I did go to college for two years and then I dropped out because I actually wanted to learn and college was interfering with my learning. I had a bad attitude towards educational institutions. Uh, yeah and they and and so they they were bad then, but they seem to be like horrifically worse now to me yeah I mean, I mean
2: there's definitely a, a a danger of sort of exaggerating the rot, and you know most philosophers don't do feminist philosophy so the the Kathleen Stark and Rebecca Tuval. Cases sort of illustrate how it's it's really very misleading if you're trying to gauge how healthy the academic climate is in universities or disciplines, just to tot up the number of you know cancellations or public shamings or blackballings, because really you only need one or two. And what happens is people realize, Jesus. Well, I shouldn't be investigating this topic, or I shouldn't be saying these things. Um, you know, I should really keep my mouth shut because this is what is going to happen to me. Uh, you know, there'll be op- there'll be open letters, and I'll get piled on on Twitter, and people will think I'm some hateful bigot and uh, whatnot. And you know, I I could be even I could even be driven out of the profession. At the, um, in the in the worst case scenario the the relatively limited number of cases you can point to doesn't doesn't really indicate the the extent of the effect which is to definitely chill the the climate
0: aren't there philosophers who directly address like the human need for integrity and the human need to for honesty and like aren't philosophers aware of that or yeah no lots
2: of yeah philosophers um of course it was a philosopher um John Stuart Mill who you know gave the most convincing and um, most well known defense of, of free speech in on on liberty. But I mean this has been another I think disappointing thing. For me personally, because you always—I've always like fondly imagined that philosophers themselves, personally, had um, some kind of integrity and were really committed to free and open inquiry, and that when the chips were down, they would stand up and be counted. And that was extremely naive of me. So academics are just like um, they're just like ordinary people. You know, they put their pants on in the morning, and they have uh, mortgages and families, and they just want a quiet life. So for the most part, um, uh, many of my colleagues have just ducked behind the parapet and you know, like pretended that this isn't really going on. And not really Willing to, to do anything about it or to show their, their faces publicly. And it's still, sort of, in a way, that's like very easy to do because you can always say, well, uh, I don't really understand these issues. This is not my speciality. I work in logic or the philosophy of mathematics or something like that. Um, but yeah, the, the general cowardice of academics um, can hardly be uh, exaggerated.
1: Wasn't there some dude called like Vol- Voltaire or something like that? is he a philosopher or (laughs) just a big talker um um
0: he wasn't an academic philosopher that's for sure (laughs)
1: um yeah
0: he was an artist
1: Eh? Eh? was the quote uh, i may not agree with what you say but
2: exactly but i will defend to the death, you're, oh, you're right I, to I say that.
1: Oh, I thought it, it was, yes. uh, I will call you out on Twitter if it's well, well, problematic.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> There's no cancelling. We're just holding people accountable. That's right.
2: That's right. Um, and, of course, the the irony of his, I mean, the whole thing is just, like, ultra ironic, no matter where you you look. I mean, one, one irony is that... Um, I mean, even if Kathleen was some hateful bigot, I would still be defending her. But she is about the furthest thing imaginable from some hateful bigot. And when her book material, I don't know if you read it when her book came out, a number of gender critical people got kind of annoyed because it's all like so reasonable. and You know, can't we all get along and, you know, let's respect each other's pronouns and whatnot. You know, it's the, the, the thesis of the book is um, like squarely in the sort of tolerant British tradition. It's not at all radical or disturbing. Actually, Britain has, a I think, a very uh, a very good track record on protections for transgender, gender non-conforming people and so on. I mean, we're like far ahead of the U.S. in that respect.
0: So do any philosophers study courage? Like, is there discussion of?
2: Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's one of the virtues. And um, there's a branch of ethics called virtue ethics, which derives from from Aristotle.
0: It's it's just remarkable to me that they can be such freaking cowards. It's like, this is
2: yeah it's all the more bizarre because of course there is the system of, of, of tenure i mean that's another thing um i always thought like before this that you know women were usually weak and passive and generally you know submissive and rolled over and did whatever men said but now after all this i've totally changed my mind
0: you thought that before wait aren't aren't you married to somebody who's not of that stereotype. No,
2: that is right. No, that's right. Of course, I'm joking. Yeah, no, I'm married. Yeah, i married to Carol Hooven, who wrote a book on um, testosterone. Uh, you should have her on your on your pod.
0: We would love to.
2: Um, but well, the thing is, she went on um, her, the very first podcast she went on was was Joe Rogan, uh, and here I am doing your podcast with like ten <laughs> listeners. And Carol, so she'll never do yours because she went on Joe Rogan first. She went on Joe Rogan. And uh, she cried, big but then Joe Rogan also cried.
1: Yeah, Joe Joe Rogan has low testosterone. That's probably why he cried. I could take him. Yeah, sorry, now we are... uh, um, uh,
2: Maybe, Karenna, you're going to, like, stitch this together at the end so it becomes some, some, like, coherent dialogue or something, but...
1: Yeah, this is easy. So Nina's looking for a branch of philosophy that is about applied courage and we know that branch it's called comedy (laughs) a lot a lot of comics are also cowards
0: comedy has become a lot less funny like cartoons are are dreadful the new yorker is totally captured and the quality of the cartoons in the new yorker has just plummeted yeah the
2: quality i mean there's this british magazine called called private eye oh yeah they're good and, yeah, no, they, well, that's because it's just run by these old school people. Of, you know, they're like now 60 or 70 or something. I mean, the editor in you know, his lot must, must be getting on a bit. So, you know, they haven't woken up. And there there was one good ca- cartoon recently about the Taliban and how, you know, they have this all-male government, but they have their pronouns in the. By her or something, so you know at least that, that's that's progress. Um, oh yeah, so so Carol, um, not only does she have far more Twitter followers than I do, but um, she was quoted in this article written by Katie Herzog about medical schools and how medical schools or some medical schools apparently are, are skating around terms like male and female. And, uh, you know, and there was a, actually a tragic case mentioned in the um, in the article of a trans man who went to a hospital and was not no one realized that he was in fact pregnant. But they thought that something else was wrong. Anyway, he was like sent home or something. And um, the baby died. Anyway, Carol was quoted in this article. And as a result of that, she was invited to appear on Fox and Friends. I've no idea what this program is. But anyway, who knows what it is. But um, obviously, as a Cambridge intellectual, I uh, do do not watch um, the um, televisual apparatus. And <laughs> I certainly have no idea what this Fox thing is. But anyway, Carol went on Fox, it was just like a few minutes, and she said, basically, she said, yeah, you know, male and female, we shouldn't, like, drop those terms, and, um, you yeah, know, she's very touchy-feely. Uh, of course, we can respect everyone's pronouns and everyone's gender identity, and blah, blah, blah. You know, she actually said that. She, what, it wasn't just, oh, we should just steamroll her over... Um, people, you know, over the way people wish to be addressed or anything like that. She's just making a point specifically about retaining the, the terms male and female. And, and n- n- neither was she saying that, you know, as, as soon as some trans man walks into a hospital, and everyone should like point the finger at him and say you are female. The whole context was about uh, education in medical schools. Anyway, so what she, said, what she said was just like totally anodyne. Even I could have said it. I, I, I hardly know anything about these things. Um, but as a result of that, uh, there was some big fuss in her department and complaints were made and, you know, one thing led to another. And, yeah, that was like a huge fuss at Harvard. Baffling. Has that resolved? Well, it sort of, yeah, it sort of hat. It's sort of well. You'll have to have her on the pod, and she'll te- she'll tell you what happened. But it did like spiral out of control for uh, for a bit.
1: I, I have to tell you one of the um, things that I'm worried about is that yeah. what she said is something that that I would say. Sex is yeah. a an immutable property that happens because of genetic expression, and that even if you are a transsexual or a trans person, as I am, that that is just something that you contend with as one of the challenges of daily living. And I don't don't think that there's anything controversial about that. But when I see examples being made of individuals such as your wife, I'm worried for myself being able to express similar sentiments about about my own more complicated path.
2: Right. 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 And of course you do have people like um like Buck Angel, who's very happy to broadcast to the world that he's he's female. But then I guess he's viewed as truce scum or a trans medicalist or something. You'll have to update me with the latest terminology
1: you have it exactly
2: yeah um
0: no i don't i um, don't use these preferred pronouns i use no i i sex based pronouns because i speak <laughs> english um i'm just i'm just putting yeah. that in there less no, no no lest no, listeners no, think everybody's speaking on this sh- on this podcast yeah no i know yeah is, I is nice know you do some yeah. of us are not nice yeah Actually, this issue has come up with Corinna, whether whether it's possible to misgender Corinna since Corinna doesn't, as far as I know, Corinna doesn't seem to have a gender identity at the moment. But I use sex-based pronouns when I talk about Corinna. When Corinna's not there. But
2: I, I think, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm in a way, I'm slightly p- puzzled by that. I mean for one thing it's um it's just harder cognitively. I mean if someone is like presenting as a man, you know like visibly presenting as a man or visibly presenting as a woman, then um I mean yeah, then it it's just a lot easier to use she in the case of a trans woman, or he in he in the case of a trans man. I mean, you know, you really Pre- have to pres- like keep, keep your eye on the ball, as it were, or, or the lack of ball, um, to use the other to use the other. Program. I mean, I can see. how well, but, they, but presenting how be a sort of political point to doing it in certain circumstances, but in like pres- sort of everyday life, it seems uh, slightly odd.
0: You presenting as or passing as these are different things.
2: Oh no, no, that's right. Yeah, exactly. No, I didn't mean. Right yeah no that's an excellent an excellent distinction. I I meant in fact presenting as obviously if by passing as and you know you didn't know the person from Adam or Eve then of course you would you would use in your terminology the wrong pronoun because this person passes as a wo- as a woman even though she's
0: I would I would missex yes, them. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Right, right. I would I would um yeah that's yeah right. But um, uh, actually, uh, like, sorry. like for me, for me, it's it is a strain when people pass, uh, where I know their actual sex, but they're passing. Like, uh, I mean, I think I think Corinna passes. And... Corinna,
2: to- Corinna totally passes. I don't know. I think maybe there's something wrong with my.
0: Well, you're male. My
2: my, my ma- yeah my my male. <laughs> Female detection system, but um,
0: I think I think yeah, women right, women, uh, w- women are a little bit more. I think like
2: every trans woman is just like obviously female, so apart from it's, like,
1: it's the latex mask part, which you know. Apart, apart, from, from, the, get right, apart from like sort of
2: outliers, where you know, I mean, there's this hilarious person in Britain called Alex Drummond, who maybe you've heard of. Alex, you she, know, oh yes, she, yes. She, she's a lovely she, girl. Is, she, she, is saying, a she is a beautiful. She is a beautiful. <laughs> a beautiful, like, bearded bloke who, you know, it's just, like, wears a kilt or something. And uh, there was a lovely quote from her that she's widening the the bandwidth of what it means to be a woman. So, obviously, this person is not is not a transsexual. In the interesting sense, I'm not quite sure what the, the deal is. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. I... Yeah. Anyway, um, Buck Angel uh, also, it's like... And also back in the day before stuff went really haywire, I was very eager to use preferred pronouns and really into it. And a younger version of myself would have been a complete asshole on this issue and corrected people's pronouns and shit like that. But um, since, you know, for, since about five years ago, I, uh, I determined that, sex was important and that i speak english and so i use sex-based pronouns and yes it is a strain it is a strain when somebody passes really well as the opposite sex and i do occasionally miss my my more innocent youth when it wasn't uh as big a political issue and uh you know
2: yeah it's it's um the the the
0: The sort of cognitive
2: um, cost is also comes up or comes up particularly acutely, I think, in in the case of they them and you know non-binary people who identify as non-binary. Of course, you just can't the whole thing about pronouns is, you know, you can just like have a good very good guess of, you know, what the appropriate parent is just by looking at the person. But in the case of non-binary people, it's all like stealth and who who knows, you know, you have to be explicitly told.
1: There's, but you, the thing is, the whole no,
2: thing is just totally hilarious because I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had where, you know, I'm talking to someone else about some non-binary person. And of course, you know, we're trying, <laughs> you know, like in the privacy of, you know, our own office offices or something, we're like trying to, use the appropriate pronouns for some reason and of course everyone like fucks up and you know says she when they should have said they or he when they should
0: have because they're referring her. to their sex because yeah. non-binary people are obviously sexed and we see their sex we're not blind no but if no that's right but if non-binary people wore some special hat
2: um or you know if they some, like, they'd still have a sex, sex. <laughs> no, 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 that's right. Oh, the only point I'm trying to make is that every if everyone wore, who wanted to be called they, them wore some special costume, you know, some very visible, like, you know, a hat with Viking horns on it or something, something that no one else
1: wore, or, or, or then it would just be a lot easier. Pink hair and nose jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, right, no, Suspenders. no, that's
2: right. No, that's true. I suppose, yeah, in certain subcultures, you can have, a, like, a good... A good guess, but like, some, how, how, blue, how did this become?
0: How did this become our responsibility? This is insane. Like, yeah. like they just decided.
1: They just decided that we're responsible Who, which, for which. When you say they, Nina, which individual are you referring to again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm using the English they since I speak English. I'm referring to a number of people. Well, to be. I mean, one who who have just declared, they, they somehow decided that other people's behavior has to change. Other people's language has to change. Other people's thinking has to change. They decided that on their own. And now we have our esteemed guests referring to people speaking English as fucking up. I mean, how did this be- become your your responsibility it's like you're not fucking up you're being a normal human
2: no i do think i i mean here's another kind of obvious point which you really would have thought uh, you know feminist philosophers would be making um but of course they're all in with the pronoun thing and you know pronoun badges at conferences and whatnot um so you would have thought that Um, a feminist would want to drain, given that we're stuck with these gendered pronouns in English, you would have thought a feminist would want to drain pronouns like he, he or her of any stereotypical connotation. So, you know, you can be a he and be as feminine as you like, or you can be a she and be as masculine as you like. But, of course, all this pronoun business... Forget the, like, the transsexual case. thats totally different. I'm completely on board. Okay. I guess Nina and I have a a disagreement. I'm totally on board.
0: You're erasing Corinna. (laughs) Corinna's horrified. Okay.
2: Well, I'm just completely... I'm totally (laughs) lazy. It's like... It would just be too much of a bother to call Corinna he, he. But... Um, but when it comes to the the non-binary thing, I mean, it's, obvi- it's obviously completely pernicious because what the what the effect is, is to um, it's to reinforce the association between stereotypical masculinity and he him, and to reinforce the stereotypical association between femininity and 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 she her, and you know the the gender outlaws. Of our of our youth, you know. I mean, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and obviously, all this like, this non-binary thing is like totally old hat. It's it's just like um, you know old wine in, in 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 new bottles. Except that the gender benders of the seventies and eighties didn't uh, insist that we call them anything in, in particular. Um, and, it, I don't know, it just seems, maybe I'm just too old, but it seems that, it, to me, that it was a so much healthier time um, for gender expression and gender flexibility than than it is now. We seem to be going backwards. Anyway, this still seems to be, like, so, maybe this is not completely right, but it seems to be such an obvious point to make or an obvious um, issue to debate about, but... There's no sign this is being debated in feminist philosophy.
0: Yeah, well, it's being just, yeah, go on. It's being debated in the real world.
2: Yeah, sure, yeah. Of course, we have to draw a sharp distinction between academic philosophy and the real world. These are totally different.
1: One of the reasons why Nina and I thought that it would be a good idea to have this podcast is because it shows people from two different points of view Being able to talk about things and sometimes disagree with things and just sort of model the behavior of bravely taking on some of these topics and in a way where we're not accusing each other and we we take sort of a lighthearted tone to it. Yes, of course. Well, it hasn't changed the real world yet.
2: Well, that's because you only have 10 listeners.
1: Well, we need better marketing. Yeah, but tomorrow,
0: including Grace, tomorrow we'll
1: have 20.
2: Yeah,
0: we need to get Carol on your podcast. Then she'll make it. She'll yeah, make yeah, us yeah, she'll, stars. She'll,
2: she'll, she'll bring her vast audience yeah. of fans and enemies over to your over to your pod. No, I know. I think it's great. And um, you also made. I think Karina, you made another excellent point, which um, is like part. Of, I, I shouldn't even say this, but. Part of the attraction, for me, I've always somewhat been interested for a variety of reasons in these in these topics, but only recently became serious about it. But part of the attraction for me is that it it definitely has its funny side. There's just something, just very <laughs> something that like tickles my tickles my sense of humour. <laughs> um, no, there was actually just on the pronoun thing, so. Uh can I tell you this like faintly amusing story? It's
1: mm-hmm. it's only
2: faintly amusing, but um so I I wrote this paper called um uh Are are women adult human females? I have a long, long story about that paper, but um it it finally got published after being like rejected from numerous journals <laughs> and um... And then this philosopher, this non-binary philosopher from Yale, uh, they them, um, was not pleased with my paper and wrote a uh, um, like an amazing response. Not just like accusing me of making various mistakes, but also accusing me of using adult human female as some dog whistle to my army of turfs. I mean this is the most bizarre thing I've ever read in philosophy this, this philosopher's this reply anyway um, the philosopher in question is not non-binary and so they them but the amusing thing is that in in their reply I was they themed so they have this policy of just they theming everyone like I mean not that I care but no one asked my pronouns like someone said on Twitter I did not know Alex Byrne was (laughs) non-binary
1: so
0: well they did they did a good thing they demonstrated actually that pronouns are up to the speaker or the writer of course and that's good actually
2: yeah yeah so
0: you're you're in both philosophy and linguistics, right?
2: Yeah, so we have a department of linguistics and philosophy at MIT, but it's really two departments in one. <laughs> so we have a separate philosophy graduate program and a separate linguistics graduate program and a separate philosophy faculty and linguistics faculty. Chomsky used to be on the linguistics faculty.
0: Nice. I mean, I'm I'm gonna continue talking about pronouns because, well, okay, so you, you said, Alex said that, uh, most i guess you're saying most trans people you encounter pass or that if you just you see somebody with long hair and lipstick then that just reads as female to you and it's just easier for you to use female pronouns or feminine pronouns but yeah,
2: but yeah maybe but, i'm just maybe just men use these incredibly crude cues to tell and female
0: <laughs> i i have an ex-boyfriend who was face blind oh, and really? Yeah, I actually think that face blindness is more common in men. So actually, I had long hair then. He insisted that I have long hair. He would be completely freaked out if I pulled my hair back or cut my hair. In my experience, most people who identify as transgender and want special pronouns do not pass as the opposite sex or as anything in particular uh, the the vast majority. Um, so old school transsexuals are pretty rare among people that call themselves transgender. So it's pretty, I very, very frequently, uh, especially with non-binary people, but really with anybody, it's like, I can tell their sex, it's not a problem. And so the, the, being compelled to use pronouns is like being compelled to lie. And it's very stressful. And, and to actually use those vanity pronouns, uh, it, it takes like a whole lot of brain space that otherwise I would be using to think, uh, it, it, it like focuses everything on this, on this person and it diminishes my own integrity and it's a it's a big it has a big impact which is why i think they like it so much um i do not think it is benign the demand for preferred pronouns and i'm just wondering you know it's like aren't people studying this aren't people studying what happens <laughs> like uh, in in academia like in something called linguistics and philosophy in academia, you would think that people would actually be studying what happens to people when they use these these bullshit pronouns that completely contradict what they're seeing. I mean it wouldn't
2: surprise me that to find that you know he act or male pronouns activate some male stereotype and you know maybe primes you for certain gendered expectations, and then similarly for for female pronouns. Corinna, what is your view of all this pronoun business?
1: A few years ago, I realized that there were some feminists who would use sex pronouns instead of gender pronouns, and that they had a philosophical reason for doing so. And when I understood what their reason was, it seemed perfectly reasonable to me that from their point of view, that they would be using sex pronouns without any ill intent because that was philosophically consistent for them and when i processed it that way i thought well that's not very harmful i mean people have different philosophies people have different politics and to accept that as somebody else's politics it just seemed inclusive and diverse to me. (laughs) So I I supported it from that point of view. And it took me a while to not flinch when having my sex-based pronouns directed at me. But when I did the mental work to say it doesn't matter what other people call me, I became a lot more relaxed and i wish that this was a property that i could transmit to other trans people to not feel so defensive or invalidated if somebody refers to them using a pronoun that seems inconsistent with their internal sense of identity
2: but doesn't it depend on the context i mean if we were at some restaurant i suppose we're all you know the three of us having dinner together and um you know the waitress comes to the table and Nina says, "Well, you know, give the bill to him," pointing at you. Wouldn't that be? I mean, not invalidating or anything, but
1: just feel like embarrassing. No, and, uh, it's it- embarrassing for Nina.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually do that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I because actually, there was a. I helped Corinna get a bike, and because I,
1: you know, Corinna, have a, you'll have to
2: you have to explain why you needed help getting a bike
1: it is because trans people have certain disabilities when dealing with the I, cisgender and i i just didn't have enough comp well so nina is very well connected in the bicycling yeah, community yeah no
2: that is a notoriously cisgender. I, I,
1: i'm a, notoriously a... sexual <laughs>
2: uh industry
1: yes and my biggest problem is that as a newly identified non-binary person I had a choice between a women's bike and a men's uh, bike.
2: You should have gone for the non-binary
1: bike. Well, that was the problem is I didn't know which models would be suitable for a non-binary person. So Nina, Nina helped sort that out.
0: Anyway, I'm a bicycle obsessive and I love... Oh. I, there's only so much room in my garage but i love uh looking at bikes that are for sale. Oh, right. So, right. if a friend of mine says, "Oh, i should really get a bike." I go like, "I'll help you find one." And it just so happened that i found a terrific one, really inexpensive and really near Corinna. So, i contacted the person. This was through Facebook Marketplace or oh. something. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is for my friend Corinna. And I was like, okay, what pronouns? And I'm just like, they don't give a shit. Like, they're not radical feminists. They're gonna see, you know, somebody named Corinna who looks like a woman. And I was just like, Yeah, she'll pick it up. Right. I was just like, I don't I don't need to take a position right here. It's just somebody selling a used bike and it's not about my politics. So you hypocrite. So likewise, at a at a restaurant, um, the the business of being at the restaurant in this situation is to get the check paid, and you know I would I would if I could avoid using a pronoun at all I would, but I would not drag a poor restaurant server into any sort of political thing. That's not the place for it.
1: And I just want to point out in this scenario, which has happened in real life, that Nina, the feminist, still makes the man pay for dinner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I made the I made yeah, you pay that's, for dinner. That's typical. Corinna cool. has all these tricks <laughs> that he uses. Like uh, we were having dinner with another friend of mine. <laughs> what did you say? You said like, oh, well, in Indiana we have these these new credit cards. I have to, you've somehow (laughs) said that the card needed some special feature to pay for a meal in Indiana. (laughs) Yeah. And that kept my friend Carl from pulling out his credit card. It
2: actually worked. I mean, the pronoun thing is, is actually interesting. It suddenly occurs to me because um, unless you switch as this Yale philosopher recommends to the system of, um, genderless or gender neutral uh, pronouns. I mean, that's never going to happen. you just stuck with with he, him, and like the best you can do is just to direct people to use he in certain circumstances and and not she and and, and the other way around. But um, and this is related to Carol's appearance on Fox News. What is fascinating, one of the fascinating things about this whole debate is that there is this effort to expunge certain words from the vocabulary, just to sort of prevent us from making certain distinctions. So, I mean, I know 1984 and George Orwell is like a total cliche when you're talking about these issues, but here it's, it is just so appropriate. So the whole point of newspeak was to, you know, of course, narrow the range of thought. Um, and and in, in, in the limit, any kind of any kind of thought that was not in completely completely in accord with um, the party's doctrines would literally be unthinkable, and really, it would certainly be unsayable. You wouldn't have the vocabulary. in, in which to to formulate it and with man and woman the the easiest tactic is to like make the case that look trans women are women there's this long like tradition in feminist philosophy like starts from Simone de Beauvoir which holds that well to be a woman is to be well I don't know it's like something social basically roughly you know maybe if people like treat you as a woman or something then you're a woman or if you look like a woman or behave like a woman or whatever uh, or, that's occupy that's woman- not
0: really what Simone de Beauvoir. No, 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 I no, no, before I, I, know, I completely
2: agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> anyway, if you, like, occupy the womanly role in society, then you're a woman, Some something like that. So at least you can kind of make a... And that's what my paper, Are, are Women, Adult, Human, Females, that, that was what it was all about. So you can at least make the case that trans women are women, in which case we don't have to stop using the word woman even though like uh, yeah of course there are other other contexts in which it's awkward like that um very recent tweet maybe it was like from today or the other or yesterday from the ACLU where they oh. changed this Ruth Gade, B- Bader Ginsburg quote about abortion by like stripping out the word woman but that's to accommodate trans men so so you can at least make the case that uh, trans women are women, trans men are men, and so since trans men can get pregnant, some men can get pregnant. At any rate, there's no need to get rid of the words man and woman. Okay, now with male and female, you're on definitely definitely on shakier ground. You can make the case that trans men are male and trans women are female, but that is a lot less pl- plausible I mean not that I think it's really plausible in the case of woman and man, but you know, you're really like straining at the leash to try and come up with some remotely plausible argument in the, in the, the male-female case. So really, your only option, if you want to stop people from thinking or saying, "Well, okay, maybe trans women and women." but at least there's this like fundamental distinction between trans women and cis women and that trans women are male and cis women are a uh, female. Your only option, if you, want to be, if you want to stop people thinking that, is to somehow get rid of the words male and female. And amazingly, that is what, <laughs> that is what seems to be happening. I mean, it's like... <laughs> If you just like speak openly of males and females, that that is transphobic in some quarters. And then, of course, we have that all this this occurs in scientific journals. Like numerous scientific papers these days, talk about um, uh, people who are assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Birth assigned males or birth assigned females. So the the flat unqualified statement that here we have some males and here we have some females and our research is looking into the difference between these two groups, that that statement cannot be made. You can only make the statement that uh, the birth assigned males have, you know, uh, this reaction to the COVID vaccine and the birth assigned females have this other reaction to the COVID vaccine.
1: Is this a phenomenon that's limited only to human beings? Or if you're doing an experiment on mice, are some of the mice assigned female at birth and some of the mice assigned male at birth?
2: Well, that, of course, is an excellent point. Yes. And uh, the answer is no. That was a rhetorical question, Corinna, I take it. I mean, that would be pretty, pretty
1: amazing if something like... I was hoping it was rhetorical. Mice. Well,
2: I don't know. Maybe after this podcast, I will go and Google it, and I'll find that there are these births, these these um, uh, birth-assigned male mice. But no, of course, if you're talking about non-human animals, then they're just males
1: or right. females, which well, which they, is they, they could be non-binary mice. Yeah, no, that's
2: true. That's right. Well, we could breed some non-binary. You can breed all kinds of weird mice. I mean, you can breed some some
0: non-binary mice. Yeah, I think so you you might be able to breed can... intersex mice, but not non-binary yeah, yeah. mice.
1: Yeah. The difficulty with the non-binary mice is getting the the, the little studs in their tiny little noses. <laughs> <laughs> you can dye their you can dye their fur blue. Oh yeah, but yeah. It's the easy
0: part. It's the little mouse septum, really <laughs> septum yeah. ring. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I mean, of course, Corinne, you put your finger on. The problem with male and female, because, of course, man and woman are confined to humans, but male and female are not. I mean, there's nothing interestingly human about being a male or being a female. These are just very general terms that apply across the animal and vegetable kingdoms. And, you know, there were males and females long before humans got on the scene. Um, So... Just that point alone shows that it there's it's, it's a big uphill struggle to kind of claim that, yeah, well, sex is somehow socially constructed, whatever the hell that means. And um, tra- trans trans women are a female after all. Incidentally, the whole non-binary thing is another issue because another sort of related issue because, um, I mean, you're more up to speed with the latest version of these doctrines, but you can certainly find many people saying that, okay, non-binary people do not identify as male and they do not identify as female, and what basically what this means is they are neither men nor women. Um, Now, this is actually slightly awkward because there are some non-binary men and some non-binary women. And also, I mean, in the transsexual case, it looks like, okay, you know, trans women, or at any rate, you know, women who've, uh, trans women who've undergone some kind of medical transition, you know, at least, at least they're, they're different in all sorts of obvious respects from, you know, standard-issue males or standard-issue standard issue men. But, of course, the whole point about the non-binary thing is that anyone can declare themselves non-binary and then, lo and behold, you are non-binary. So, like the British pop singer Sam Smith, was, to all intents and purposes, looked like some bog standard gay man, said he was non-binary. I mean, this, of course, this phenomenon of celebrities announcing that they're non-binary is very common. Um, and you, know, you get a lot of support and validation and so on. Now, if you really thought, you know, well, the kind of orthodoxy on these matters has to be correct, then you must accept, then you absolutely must accept that whatever it is to be a man or to be a woman, it, that is an incredibly like fragile property of a person. You can just shrug it off, not by sort of really doing anything, but other, other than just saying, I hereby identify as neither neither male nor female. Something Lo and behold, you are not a man anymore. Philosophers, I, I think, are in a slightly sticky situation with regard to that because on the one hand they want to they definitely want to pay lip service to the orthodoxy but of course as soon as you start prodding the orthodoxy it just seems so wildly implausible sorry nini
0: okay wow so uh, you you I went through hammering. a bunch of things really yeah. like one to another i just want to say working backwards orthodoxy yeah. this was not the orthodoxy 10 years ago yeah or 15 yeah. years ago like it became orthodoxy that's weird. yeah right right but, uh, like yesterday but I wanted to say that last week we spoke with Derek Jensen the environmentalist Derek Jensen oh. and are you familiar with him?
2: Yeah, I like I've I've heard of him. Isn't he, isn't he some like radical
0: eco terrorist or something? <laughs> or yeah. <that>? <laughs> <laughs> but um the the trans the, the genderist movement is a it's transhumanist. Uh-huh. And when Corinna brought up mice and the sex of mice, that reminds us that humans are animals, but transhumanists don't want humans to be animals. They want humans to be non like different from animal or transcend our animal nature. Yeah. So by, by getting rid of sex, that is getting rid of a reminder that we are animals because animals have sex, at least mammals do. And we're certainly mammals. Uh, And then I also, you were at one point talking about how transsexuals are, are different Um, since I'm in a radical feminist milieu, uh, radical feminists, most of them, not all, are really concerned with materialism and are many are currently taking issue with even the phrase trans. Cause it's like, well, what the, you know, what does trans even mean? Trans, what, to what you can't change your sex, like transsexual, but you can't change it. And phrases like trans women, which I've historically used, I've not had a problem with that until recently. I also go like, Hmm, well, yeah. Uh, That is kind of odd. So there is a way to materially label transsexuals, at least male transsexuals, which is both, it's like really accurate. So I like it. And yet it's so outside the normal, the normal way that people talk. It's, it can be it can sound to the delicate ears of liberals like it's really offensive i do not mean it that way i do not mean it in any offensive way but materially what we're talking about is feminized eunuchs um right
2: although of course of course some of them are not eunuchs
0: transsexuals are feminized eunuchs but
2: you're talking about transsexuals who like have the full uh
0: Yes, I'm talking about transsexuals who you brought up because they are, mate- you were talking about material differences. You were yeah. saying, as opposed to like your bog standard transgender, yeah. which is just someone yeah. declaring no, an I mean, identity. I,
2: I agree. I mean, it's it, it, that's, I, I actually, I remember, I now remember I was looking at the Corinna's, um Quillette article again. Um, and I think you said in that Quillette article that um, you made some remark about the word transsexual being not part of the approved vocabulary anymore, and that's just another example of the of the sort of Orwellian tendency to or sort of the Orwellian trend whereby you know you want to make a distinction but you find that you know you don't have the language to to make it in so you want to distinguish yourself a transsexual from you know sam smith this like non-binary bloke um who is of course in no nothing like you whatsoever and you know no evidence he had gender dysphoria or nothing like that um he's just a gay man getting in touch with his feminine side um
0: which as a female i find so freaking offensive this is so offensive to women
2: but Yeah. Well, okay. So, so the, so I think the the feminized eunuch thing is is not, uh, that is not completely accurate. So, so there are these men, well, for a start, um, the standard route to becoming a eunuch these days is to have surgery for prostate cancer. And, um, To add to that, there are these voluntary eunuchs, men who, for whatever reason, often there's a kind of sexual motivation, wish to become eunuchs, Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they get themselves castrated, basically. Um, But these people are not not, um, transsexuals. So I'm wondering that whether, you know, your your vocabulary seems to be a bit too broad. It all seems to be F-
0: feminized like... eunuch.
2: Well, I think, you know, you do get a bit feminized after you've been castrated anyway. And...
0: Yes, naturally. Yeah. But, the, but the whole point, I mean, I mean, no, there, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of eunuchs who are not, I mean, there's low, te- there's no, there's not having testosterone, but then there's Th- that's different than actually taking estrogen. Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah, that's right.
2: Well, you should just another reason to have a so, on the podcast. Fe-
0: feminized that. is an important component yeah. of this. It's, I didn't say that they're eunuchs, yeah. they're feminized eunuchs. Yeah.
1: In, in fact, my driver's license is supposed to say feminized eunuch on it, but it only had room for one letter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, said, it said, What is your gender? And then it gave the choices male,
1: yeah. female, other
0: feminized eunuch. I mean, people
2: used to talk about sex changes back in the day. You know, when, when I was a boy, people had sex changes. I mean, no one really thought, no, no one really took that phrase literally.
0: I think a lot of people didn't think about it enough to take it literal, to, to reject its literalness. A lot of people didn't really want to think about it.
1: Well, in fact... I would say that men, not, you know, not all men, hashtag, men generally were very happy for there to be other men who would remove themselves from the category of masculinity rather than tainting it with their antics of femininity and dressing up in women's clothing. So whether or not sex change was meant to be literal it was still effectively embraced as being practically true because it suited yeah. men not to have a threat to the category of masculinity.
0: I,
2: mean, I wonder if that is really right because, I mean, lots of people who, who sort of publicly had sex changes, I mean, back in, at least back in the day. They, they were not um, I mean as men they were not particularly feminine indeed some of them were really quite masculine so one like so who? We, we, well, well well just just take um, the most one of the most famous British examples is um, Jan Morris mm. who was James Morris and who wrote a book called conundrum in 1972 about her sex change at the age of 50 or something like that and as James was a like a globe trotting journalist and travel writer and was on the ninth British expedition to everest, you know like twenty two thousand feet up the side of the mountain and um was married and had um, five, five children i think classic
0: um, autogynophile well
2: possibly. Um, Jan did not. Yeah, Jan was. I'm going to write about uh, Jan and James, and I'm writing a book about these things. And Jan is an excellent example. Um, but yeah, the book it's a it's a very short book, and Jan was a wonderful writer. Is v- extremely. Telegraphic about her reasons for tr- for transition. It's all just like left shrouded in mystery. Well, you know, I was just I, I I knew when I was age four that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body, and somehow like it took me fifty years to finally express that. Um, but yeah, anyway. So, but the point is that yeah. So I guess I'm pushing back a bit on Karenna. So, um, so James was not feminine in any in, in, in any obvious way. was the, the first point. And then the second point is that I mean it's a kind of comparison with the way people viewed uh, homosexuality and very feminine men at, at the time. obviously this is a kind of an exceptional case, but uh, James transitioning to Jan had um, an extremely like easy ride of it and then, Jan was, you know, became this British national treasure and, uh, yeah, lauded um, on all sides. Yeah, Nina, sorry, go on.
0: I think, I think you're actually supporting no. Corinna's point because the whole point is James, when James decided that he wanted to wear a dress full-time, uh, then he was no longer in the category of male. Right? Like, he's like, oh, clearly I cannot be male and do this. Clearly I have to be a woman. And and then he was a national treasure. It's like, yay! The male yeah, did the it, right it, thing. It, he stopped being male. We don't have to think of him as male. Yeah, but it, well... I mean, that's exactly what Corinna is saying.
2: No, sorry, I thought Corinna was saying, well, Corinna, you have to tell us what you were saying, but um, I thought Corinna was saying that uh, some transitions from male to female were, in a way, uh, met with relief on behalf of men, because it just meant that some extremely feminine man who, who, you know, was in the habit of wearing dresses or makeup or at any rate didn't didn't, uh, look like some regular square-jawed Clark Kent kind of guy, had finally exited... The category of men. So, phew, thank, thank God for that. You know, we didn't want this person um, in our uh, locker rooms or on our rugby team or, or whatever. I thought that's what Corinna was saying. But at any rate, the James case was totally different.
0: No, the James case is once, once a man, a macho masculine man decides that he wants to live his fetish full time, everyone is a lot happier when he exits manhood. He's happier and other people are happier. Men. Men. And while well, apparently women are into it also, as far as uh, Angus Fox has, has talked a lot about the women's role in encouraging and supporting men to so, do this.
1: So, so let, me, let me provide a, what maybe an alternate presentation or alternate um, behavior might be generally among men, Western men. Mm -hmm. If more Western men said, Jan Morris is my brother. Corinna Cohn is my brother. Alex Drummond is my brother. And that these men who are different from us are still part of the brotherhood. And we are all together supportive of men. Even the ones who have long hair, and take titty skittles (laughs) are still men. That's not, that's not how it is though. It's, well, that's great that we don't have to, as Alex Drummond would say, we don't have to broaden the bandwidth of what entails masculinity. We can instead say masculinity ends at this line and everything that's fruitier than that is woman.
2: Yeah, but I, I but I mean I think yeah, I mean in the case of Jan she was just some classic transsexual. I mean there's no way she would have wanted to have been you know treated as a man or embraced by the brotherhood oh. of men or anything. Yeah, yeah. Or it wouldn't really have uh, you know it, it like wouldn't have, have, have helped it wouldn't have helped anyone. She just desperately wanted, perhaps be, for autogynephilic motivations. She just desperately wanted to be a uh, to be a woman.
0: And and yet she's she wasn't she. Her. And yet <laughs> she so much. Uh, he was at best at most a feminized eunuch. Yeah, but. Which is not the same thing as a woman. Well, no, th- that is, r- yeah, that is
2: right. But I mean, but just on the sort of general point, I mean, just on the sort of general point of whether you should be particularly worried about people who are not strictly women being treated as women or being called women or socially recognised as women. Of course, in the in in the case in the case of trans men. I think men in general, well what about I, I, I cannot speak for all men. Um, I can only speak for ninety five percent of men, so um, <laughs> in the case of, in the case of trans men, I didn't think men really have really an issue with you know welcoming trans men into the brotherhood of men, even though like strictly speaking, they're not men. Okay, if I'm holding my gay sex. Party, then I'm probably not going to invite the trans man, and that's going to like uh, annoy some of them. But for you know, every other, when I'm doing the bowling league and um, the you know, inviting my friends down to my man cave and whatever, the yeah, sure, the trans man, I, I don't give a crap.
0: Why isn't Jan your brother? Well, I mean, of course, she she
2: removed herself so far from um looking and looking and behaving you know remotely like a man I mean you know she had like the full the full operation in I think it was uh, Casablanca and um she just looked and acted like some stereotypical woman, so maybe in some narrow technical sense she She's my brother, but as far as inviting her down to the man cave goes, or uh, you know, sticking her on the all male bowling team, that's just not going to work. Or well, just take another example. I mean, suppose some space alien. I mean, there are like numerous like sort of science fiction examples of this kind. Yeah. So suppose the so suppose some Martian woman visited Earth, and these Martian women, well, they're not they're not human.
1: Uh, they're not
2: they're not even mammals.
1: You mean assigned Martian at birth? Yeah, assigned Martian at birth. No,
2: but they really are Martians. And they, they don't even have a sex. Yeah. They, Martians re- reproduce like amoeba or something. Um, but it just so happens that these so called we, we call them Martian women, even though they're not mammals, and they're not female. We call them Martian women, because actually, they look very much like women. They just have, like, green eyes and purple hair. But other than that, you you think, if you just met one on the street, you think, oh, my God, this is, like, this, like, earthly woman with maybe non-binary because of the purple hair or something. Um, And they're psychologically, or at any rate, they can, maybe they're a bit shape-shifty. So, you know, they can, like, grow tentacles on demand or something. But for the most part, they just totally keep it under control. And they just look you know, if they strip down in the locker room, they just look like regular women. And psychologically, they behave just like like regular women. Um, And um, anyway, so if, like, a bunch of these came down from from Mars, you know, they're, like, totally harmless. They're really nice people, uh, really nice aliens. Um, Would you, Nina, have some issue with these Martians, you know... Do it, you know, intruding in on female spaces and getting dressed in the female locker room and, and whatnot. I mean, some of them are TERFs, probably. Some of them are actually TERFs.
0: They're not even human. We're not even no, talking not even about, right, right. about <laughs> the I mean, species that, issue. Right, right. They're a totally different
2: species. There is no way these people are women, unless you hold very peculiar views. They just, like, superficially very much like women.
0: Now, are, they, are, are they, they identifying as human?
2: Um, if you think it makes a difference. Yeah, sure. Maybe some of them have gone, uh, some of them have really gone native and they actually believe, you know, they like forgotten their history and so forth. Or maybe they've been brainwashed by their fellow Martians back on Mars. And they actually believe that they just, that they're earthly women.
0: All right, Alex, you got me. I am one of those (laughs) Martian women.
1: (laughs)
2: Well, it's the, Alex like,
0: the has purple... figured it out. I can see I... you have
2: purple hair and green eyes. So...
0: <laughs> I've I've fooled a lot of people for a long time, but I guess my work here is done, and I can go back to Mars now.
1: Well, I'm sorry, Nina, but I'm no longer going to share a <laughs> locker room with you.
0: You never did. I identified as a as a human adult human female. I was very into that. I was all politicized about it. I thought that uh, my oppression was based in my sex, not my identity. Yes. Or at least that's what I said. But really, I've been a Martian all along, and I've taken you all for a ride.
1: To maybe take Alex's point a little bit more seriously. If somebody transitions and passes very, very convincingly, then they can go into those spaces and not cause any sort of disruption. Nobody will, even if somebody has a little tickle at the back of their head and thinks that's that's, a, that's an angular woman, They they still won't necessarily feel that their space is being intruded upon. But that is not the typical trans case. And in fact, this has been a debate in the trans circles for quite a while of why, why is it that somebody who has had sex reassignment surgery is granted a privilege of going into female spaces whereas somebody who hasn't had surgery cannot and doesn't that raise a question of whether or not their treatment is just because requiring of somebody that they have a surgical procedure in order for them to have access to the same spaces that other people of their apparent gender do. Isn't, is that fair or not? Now, for my part, I think that that's a fair argument and that at some point it's going to have to break that when we create sex restricted spaces, that it's going to have to be taken literally. And that for people like me, who may not necessarily cause a stir by going into some of those spaces, people like me are going to have to be satisfied or be relegated, I should say, into neutral areas like the family bathroom or the single occupant bathroom for some of these um, Public activities but th- that that is the only way of achieving any sort of logical consistency in the policy
2: right. I mean my only point with the the Martian thing was just that I don't think the I don't think the issue is really uh, well, you know is this person female or or male. It's something uh, slightly different, although connected to that to that question. so there's there's something about um, female spaces and uh, the and the need for female spaces that Gives you an argument for excluding males, or at least excluding many males from those spaces, and there isn't a parallel argument in the in the in the male space case. So you know, males should not really like freak out that um, trans men, who probably have much bigger muscles than they do anyway, you know, coming into the male locker room or something
0: they shouldn't have a problem with trans women coming into the locker room either no no
2: i know i completely agree right yeah 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 i I
0: mean a lot of this is a lot of this problem is because they do have a problem with that
2: yeah
0: fair's fair you know
2: trans women would have a problem Mm. with that as as well i mean if you know if um if you've managed to achieve some relief from your gender dysphoria by transitioning from, from male to, to female, like huge personal cost and expense and so on, then it's, you know, things are not going to be helped if you then start waltzing into the, into the male locker room. I mean, maybe that's not to say that you should be in the woman's locker room, but at the very least, there should be some other option
0: yes well if there were if there were third spaces uh radical feminists would totally support that. all sorts of people would support that everyone would have supported that, and it's been a real back back when I had different expectations, I was surprised that trans activists were not in fact advocating for third spaces because everyone would have supported that, but they were primarily advocating for taking over or entering women's spaces and removing the categories of redefining women and, you know, removing sex from the language and things like that. And that is one reason that most gender critical feminists believe that this is a men's sexual rights movement and that it is fundamentally misogynistic.
1: So in the philosophy of mind, what is the explanation for gender dysphoria?
2: Oh, well that is a Yeah, that is a great question. Um, that wouldn't really be the province of philosophy of mind exactly. It's there's, a, there's another area of philosophy called sort of moral responsibility. Sorry, sorry. Moral responsibility. Moral psychology which is includes the the theory of action and um they talk a lot about motivation in this uh sub of philosophy and that's where you would find some discussion of that but but in fact um it is never discussed mm. it, 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 it's just never discussed which is which is most unfortunate because it is a it is a fascinating fascinating question well it- do you, can I ask you, Karina? Yeah. Just while well, well, I have you, so have you, you've obviously thought a, a lot about your history and why you are where you are, where you are. But do you have some like story that you're satisfied with, which explains why you why you transitioned in terms of motivation or?
1: My biggest difficulty, Alex, is that I have knowledge that the more that you try to rationalize something from your past, the more that what you are doing is pulling in things that you have learned subsequent or or after that event, and that you reframe your original decisions in the light of the things that you've learned and the things that you've thought about after that event, So it's very frustrating for me to try to explain what my motivations were to my satisfaction, because I have found that I have reframed that story a couple of times. It's achieving stability. And so I'm getting closer to repeating the same story over time, but I cannot place myself back into the stage that I was at when I was entering puberty and the desire to be a girl became an overriding fixation for me. I can't get back into that mental state, so I don't know exactly why I did it. The explanation that I am most satisfied with at this point is that I never was able to really fit in with boys and that I became—I uh, started to feel like I was exiled from my own sex and that when you are not welcome among members of your own sex, then there's only one other option. And that I became obsessed with trying to find a place outside of masculinity where I would still be accepted. That's the explanation that I've arrived at. Yeah. But it is tainted because I've had over 30 years of identifying as something other than a stock, typical male, assigned male at birth, human, cisgender dude. Um, And and so uh, I keep reframing and reconstituting it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, this is obviously a topic for another time, but that whole, I mean, it has nothing in particular to do with, with transsexuality, but that whole topic of sort of looking back over your life as some kind of narrative arc and trying to find, you know, some rhyme or reason in why you did what you did or why you turned left rather than right right or took, you know, this particular path rather than the other path and whether indeed um, it's important to do that. These are all... Fascinating questions. Um, I mean, certainly, I am about the least, even though I wrote a book on self knowledge, I'm about, I mean, Carol will tell you. Uh, it's one of us, a lot of like hobby horses. Uh, I'm about the least introspective person you can imagine, and I have no interest. I mean, I couldn't possibly write an autobiography. Actually, one interesting thing, I mean, I'm sure it's sort of related to, you know, if you are transsexual, then it's just so natural to start just think, thinking and ruminating about why you did these things and what happened to you, because of course, it's like it's incredibly unusual. And no doubt, I mean, apart from this, like the monetary motivation, no doubt, that's part of the explanation of this incredible rash of transsexual autobiographies. I'm very surprised you haven't written one. Karen but um uh you should definitely add to the pile of like fou <laughs> there must be like literally thousands. It almost seems that every time someone transitions you know you do that this is the inevitable autobiography um I've read like numerous um examples from this genre um oh there's another very there's a very interesting author actually called Galen Strawson who. Who, who writes about this kind of thing. I mean, whether um, having a narrative about your life really makes sense or is a good idea or whether the self is somehow constructed by this narrative. Anyway, mm. you should have him on the pod as well if he has any investment in terfery. But
1: uh... See, I, I've become uh, really frustrated listening to people, to trans people, give... like explain their own narratives of their origins because it's so tedious it's so tedious it's so consistent like how many how many trans people go you know what i just got tired of having a penis i thought i would change things up a little (laughs) bit and uh, I, i wanted my eyebrows to look nicer so between those two things i decided to change my sex you know, that would be a cool, that would be a cool origin. Yeah.
2: I mean, maybe that's the, maybe that's the trend these days with people, you know, microdosing testosterone and having a little bit of work done and it all seems to be rather, you know, playful and exploratory and not like the, uh, I, I I like the old school transsexuality myself.
1: Alex. For our listeners who may have heard of your, your famous and renowned wife, but who are less familiar with your works, <laughs> is there anything that you would like people to take a look at or that you'd like, uh, like to be better known?
2: If you just Google me, you can find my MIT page and then it'll take you to my web page, which has a bunch of ramblings on it about um, gender identity and what is a woman, that kind of thing.
0: And Byrne is spelled D R U M M O N D. That's that's approximately correct. Yes, David
2: Byrne should be your um, mnemonic, mm. the Talking Heads guy. No
1: relation, unfortunately. We did enjoy your YouTube video, which we will link to. Oh, cool!
2: You mean the Minds and Machines thing? Is that yeah? That was the Minds and Machines intro. Yeah, to my um, my mooc.
1: And it was on that basis yes. that Nina and yes. I said. This guy's awesome. We need to talk to him. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and yeah. Broadening, broadening the, the brotherhood the band, and sisterhood. What it means to be a philosopher. <laughs> yes, make exactly. sure you cut
2: out everything I said that could possibly get me cancelled.
0: Well, I identify as a philosopher now too.
2: You are a philosopher.
0: So I hope you make room for me in the philosopher's bathroom. Sure. <laughs> Trans philosopher. Yeah.
1: All all right all right thanks a bunch okay pleasure all right bye turfs and trannies